Hello, and welcome to the Why We Argue podcast. I'm Robert Talese, your host. I'm professor of philosophy at Vanderbilt University. Why We Argue is produced by Humility and Conviction in Public Life, a project based at the University of Connecticut, which explores how to balance our deepest commitments with open-mindedness, a respect for reason, and intellectual humility. The series, which is made possible by generous funding from the John Templeton Foundation, features brief discussions with publicly-minded thinkers about the state of civil discourse in contemporary democracy. Today, my guest is Kasim Kassam. Kasim is professor of philosophy at the University of Warwick in the UK. His academic work resides at the intersection of epistemology and philosophy of mind, where he explores topics pertaining to self-knowledge, self-deception, and epistemic virtue and vice. His forthcoming book is titled Vices of the Mind, and it will be published this year with Oxford University Press. Hello, Kasim. Hello. How are you today? I'm very well. How are you? Oh, I'm doing fine. Thank you so much for joining me on Why We Argue. It's a pleasure. So um, let's get into it. It, it, it seems, uh, unfortunately perhaps, it seems a good time to be working in the area uh, that you work in, uh, namely the area of epistemic vice. Um, and there's a lot to say about uh, uh, vice uh, of the intellectual kind these days. But I wanted to talk to you specifically today about your work on conspiracy theories. Um, now, just last week and continuing uh, in the news cycle uh, this week, um, the news, uh, in the U.S. at least, is, is, is focused on uh, some pretty extensive coverage of an alleged secret society that had allegedly infiltrated the FBI. Uh, of course, uh, the evidence underlying the view that there is such a secret society turns out to be a stray text message between two secret romantic partners at the FBI. Um, so I guess the first thing to ask you is, um, what is a conspiracy theory? Well, perhaps it would be uh, helpful to start just by thinking about what a conspiracy is. So uh, the dictionary defines a conspiracy as a secret plan by a group of individuals to do something unlawful or harmful. So then a conspiracy theory would just be, on one interpretation, any theory that explains an event or a happening by supposing it to have been the product of a conspiracy. The problem with that definition is that it's too broad. So supposing you think that um, your uh, neighborhood um, convenience store was robbed uh, by a group of people acting together, conspiring to rob to rob the store. uh, It's not clear that that would make you a conspiracy theorist. Um, So it doesn't seem to be uh, in accordance with how we normally talk about conspiracy theories, that any theory that explains an event by uh, supposing a conspiracy is a conspiracy theory. Um, So conspiracy theories are a bit more specific than that. Um, For a start, they are theories about politically or historically significant events. So a theory about, for example, um, what happened on 9-11 may qualify as a conspiracy theory in a way that a theory about how a convenience store was robbed would not. I think a second interesting feature of conspiracy theories, and indeed an essential feature, is that they uh, they challenge the conventional wisdom. Um, so uh, the psychologist Rob Brotherton says that they are contrarian in nature. Um, so, for example, if I believe the official account 
of 9-11, that doesn't make me a conspiracy theorist. Um, what would be uh, relevant to being a conspiracy theorist is, 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 is actually believing uh, a view that challenges the official account by positing a, uh, a different conspiracy than an Al-Qaeda conspiracy. Um, so those are two important features of consp conspiracy theories. I think they also, generally speaking, regard the conspirators as extremely powerful, or in some cases as, as, as all-powerful. And the last thing I think I'd want to say is that, is that um, it probably isn't sensible to build into the definition of a conspiracy theory that all conspiracy theories are false or unjustified. Um, they, may be, they may be true ones. They may be ones that are perfectly well justified. Um, and I suppose the philosophically interesting question is, with respect to conspiracy theories that are patently unjustified or false, why is it that people still believe them? And uh, what harm does it do for people to believe theories like that? Sure. So uh, let me get, I want to ask you th that, that particular, uh, that specific question in a second, but I uh, mean, just the three part definition or analysis that you just laid out. So would it be right to say then that if there is a conspiracy theory that is both correct and which eventually gets uptake, uh, and it becomes the conventional wisdom, that theory is no longer a conspiracy theory then? Well, yes. I mean, so for example, again, if you think about, if you think about 9-11, I mean, so the, the event happened on the day. For, for a few days after that, it was unclear what had happened. Um, the theory then started to circulate that, that in fact, it was an Al-Qaeda plot. So there was a conspiracy. Mm -hmm. um, and that then became the official account. Uh, now, that official account did indeed explain what happened on 9-11 by positing a conspiracy. Uh, and that became the mainstream account. But I don't think that people who believe that account can be regarded as conspiracy theorists. Right. Um, so I think that's a that's a fundamental that's that's a fundamental point and 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 so when when something does become accepted or for example now if you believe that there was a a, a conspiracy in relation to Watergate I mean it's hard to see that that would now make you a conspiracy theorist because you wouldn't be challenging the conventional wisdom on that question. Right. Excellent. So um, you know the internet is filled with um, uh, well lots of lots of crazy things but um, you know. When you when you look at some political sites that are out of the mainstream, um, it seems that a lot of them are um, in the the business of um, suggesting conspiracies fairly regularly. Um, some of which get uptake and some of which don't. And um, do, do we have an account of of, of how um, uh, proposed uh, uh, conspiracy theories spread and um, uh, and proliferate? Well, I think that it's um, it's relevant here to distinguish between um, what you might call the producers of conspiracy theories and their consumers. Good. So, uh, I mean, clearly there are people who 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 come up with conspiracy theories. So, for example, you know, there was a person or some individuals who came up with a conspiracy theory about the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting. There are you know lots of conspiracy theories about that. Um, now. One question is, well, why is it that people come up with these theories in the first place? Um, uh, and, you know, there's a range of possible answers to that question. But given that they come up with these theories, 
uh, and propagate them, you, you, you might then ask, well, how is it that they're so successful in, in spreading these theories? And, and partly the answer to that is a, is a sort of you know, obvious technical answer. I mean, it has something to do with the workings of social media. Um, but, you know, there's also the fact that 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 people who um, are confronted with these theories um, have the you know have the option of whether to whether to you know to, to retweet them or spread them in some other in some some other way or simply to dismiss them. And clearly, large numbers of people um, seem to believe these theories, and that's why they that's why they become um, so so prevalent. So the so the so the deeper question here is. It, it, it is what, why do people believe them? Why why are at least some people so prone to be, to believing these theories? Um, and that gets one in, into uh, questions in psychology and perhaps in in epistemology, which uh, which have been the focus of my research recently. So great. Let me let me ask a, a little bit about uh, about that. Um, now again, to a to an armchair observer such as myself. Um, one of the things that seems um, one of the things that successful, if we can use that word, is sort of a, a well known and widely believed as far as these things go, conspiracy theories. One one thing that the the the, 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 the successful conspiracy theories seem to have in common is that what it is to it seems that what it is to adopt the theory is to also take a certain set of attitudes towards evidence, which um, enable the person holding the conspiracy theory to um, build what or, or to transform countervailing evidence into further support of the theory? Yes, I think that's right. And, and, I, and I think that, that attitudes towards evidence um, are also bound up with attitudes towards uh, power or government in, in, in many cases. So uh, I, th I think a disposition to believe conspiracy theories is often is often tied up with deep skepticism about you know the government or its 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 agencies. Um, so when um, people are presented with uh, evidence that go against their conspiracy theories, I mean one of the mechanisms that 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 that, that they use to to dismiss this evidence and to hold on to their theories. Um, and indeed, to regard this contrary evidence as as as, as further confirmation of their theories right, is right. to say, well, look, I mean, look at who's, you know, they would say that, wouldn't they? I mean, look, look, look where this evidence is coming from. The very fact that it's the government that's telling us these things is a reason to is a reason to mis mistrust it. So, so I think the, the you know the idea that uh, a, a key a key mechanism here is is is. Uh, essentially, the, uh, the denigration of official or established sources of evidence and and information. Right. So, um, uh, but I take it that 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 kind of attitude uh, towards um, that kind of skeptical attitude towards what the non-conspiracy theorists regard as reliable sources of information and good sources yeah. of evidence um, that. That seems, and maybe this is just part of the part of the the problem that conspiracy theories pose uh, pose for us. Um, that attitude, that skeptical attitude, seems like it's consistent with having a certain degree of um, cognitive success and epistemic success, right? That, that is that you can you can be a conspiracy theorist and still have lots of of really good information, can't you? I mean, you could be pretty well informed and still hold the conspiracy theory. Yes, I think I think that's right, and. Uh, 
in many of these cases, it's, it's not really a question of information as 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 the interpretation of of, of information. So, um, you know, one can one can one can have at one's fingertips vast amounts of data about a particular event, uh, but then there's a the question: is what does this mean? What does you know what what does this all mean? Uh, are, are are there are there are there patterns here that are suggestive of something uh, something underhand? And so I so the sense in which you can be um, epistemically uh, successful and still be a conspiracy theorist is that is that of course being a conspiracy theorist doesn't in itself prevent you from um, knowing lots of things about what uh, w- what took place on a certain day, but it's 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 a matter of how you. What, what you make, you know, what you make of that and, and what conclusions you draw from the evidence that's available to you. Uh, and the conclusions that are drawn are, 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 are often problematic. And, and, and it's an interesting question uh, why people do that. I mean, why they make these huge leaps that, uh, that sustain a lot of conspiracy theories. Well, good. So let me, that, that would be the, that, that's the next question. So can you, can you tell us a little bit, you've looked into, uh, you've looked into this a lot. Can you tell us a little bit about what those mechanisms are? Because I, you've just called, you've just called the mechanisms, mechanisms that enable believers or epistemic agents to make leaps of various kinds. That seems to me right, that there is a, the, the conspiracy theorist is, is in some cases, epistemically virtuous, doing what he or she ought to do up to a point. And then yeah. some leap gets made. Um, yeah. The anti-vaxxers, I think, are, are a good example of this, where it looks as if you know people who hold not only anti-vaccination views but conspiratorial views about uh, pharmaceutical companies and whatnot, and the research about vaccinations, seem to know a lot that's correct about the vaccination, <laughs> right? Yeah. And about the history yeah. of vac- vaccinations, and then somehow th- what they do with that information is is um, uh, as you say, something something of an unjustified leap gets made that brings them to a conspiratorial conclusion. Um, can you tell us about how the how that happens? What's the what what is involved in the leap? Yeah. Um, so so one thing just as, just before getting 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 to that, I sure. mean, I think it's uh, if one asks the question, you know, why do people believe conspiracy theories? I mean, there's something there's something um, there's an assumption that's already built into that question. Um, so, for example, we don't ask the question, why do people believe in the existence of airplanes? Right? I mean, obviously, people believe in the existence of airplanes because there are airplanes and there are very good reasons to believe in their existence. So um, when you ask, well, why do people believe conspiracy theories? There, there seems to be a kind of assumption there that that that, the, that belief is is in some way problematic and, and you know, calls for some special explanation. Um, so no doubt a conspiracy theorist would say, well, I believe I believe these theories because they're true or because there are good reasons to believe them. But looking at it from the other side, I mean, if, if one thinks, look, there is something there is something weird about these about these beliefs, something problematic, then there's a question about how to explain it. Um, so in the psychological literature, I mean, there are there are a couple of things that, that, that psychologists say that uh, are interesting. I mean, one is this idea that. There's such a thing as a conspiracy mentality, which some some of us have and others of us don't have or don't have to the same degree. So uh, the conspiracy mentality is supposedly a general disposition to believe conspiracy theories. And on this account, uh, people don't just believe conspiracy theories in isolation. They tend to believe lots of conspiracy theories. And the best predictor of whether you're going to believe a given conspiracy theory is whether you believe other conspiracy theories. Huh. 
Um, and there's plenty of empirical support for that. So, 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 so uh, conspiracy mentality looks looks like it's a kind of personality trait, um, which, you know, which some people have. Uh, and if you have it, the, these theories seem incredibly compelling and in, incredibly appealing. And if you don't have it, um, then they don't have the same uh, attraction at all. Um, so that's part that's part of the story. Uh, there's also interesting discussion in a psychological literature anyway, of whether um, this conspiracy mentality um, is itself grounded in um, cognitive biases of various kinds. So one bias that people often talk about in this connection is is, um, sometimes called proportionality bias. So this is the idea that big effects must have proportionately big causes. Oh, and so, we, so we're unhappy with the idea that, you know, major events have relatively um, trivial causes, causes that don't match up to the significance of the event. Um, so the classic case that everyone quotes in the literature is the, is the Kennedy assassination, where, you know, the proportionality bias makes you think, look, I mean, it's just hard to make sense of the idea that someone as insignificant as Oswald could really have pulled off you know, such a major, such a major event. Um, and so if you if you are influenced by this idea that big effects must have big causes, then in that case, you are going to look for um, uh, um, a cause that 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 is, 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 as it were, grander and less mundane than, um, you know, the standard explanation in terms of uh, the actions of Lee Harvey Oswald. Um, so I think that's that's an interesting mechanism that's that that that's at play uh, in at least in at least some of these cases. Um, there's more. There's there's I think you know there are further questions you can ask, which is well you know what makes proportionality bias um, so influential with some of us and not others. Uh, but I think talking about conspiracy mentality and these biases is at least a good start. Good. And do we have reason to think that um, if, if we do uh, identify part of the story of um, uh, how conspiracy theories get going, how they get their uptake, how they spread, if part of that story is a story about these um, uh, cognitive biases and w- what you called earlier personality traits, they're kind of sort of uh, personality traits understood as also part of your epistemic personality, if we can talk that yes. way. Um, is there reason to think that, that, that they can be, that they can be changed? Uh, you know, we, <laughs> we, we've got, uh, you know, people who talk about virtues and vices in the more standard sort of uh, uh, ethics literature are constantly, uh, uh, at least maybe at least since Plato's uh, Mino are wondering <laughs> you know, yeah, if uh, yeah. if virtue and vice can be taught and once you're vicious, is there any hope for getting rid of the vice or is, are you just stuck having to manage it? Do we know anything about about how this um, how these vices uh, or the, these habits that uh, lead us astray epistemically can be addressed? Well, I think a lot depends on whether you think in terms of, of personality traits or, or virtues and vices. Okay. Um, I mean, personality traits um, um, are often regarded as, 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 as very difficult to shift. So if you, if you really press hard on the idea that you know, the conspiracy mentality is just a personality trait that some of us have, um, it, it may then be quite difficult um, to get your mind around the idea of changing someone's personality in that respect. 
But if you think more in terms of um, epistemic virtues and vices, so instead of talking about personality traits, you talk about you know, habits of thought, um, then perhaps you know, habits of thought like other habits can be changed. Uh, you know, may, 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 maybe there are things that, that can be done to change these habits, but, but it's hard, to, see, it's hard to, to really know whether there, there are things you can do or not until, until we have a better understanding of what makes certain habits of thought so uh, appealing to some people. And I think here it's probably um, helpful to go beyond the idea of, of cognitive biases. So one idea that, that I've been thinking about recently is, is, is the following. So one explanation of an event might be a relatively mundane explanation um, or, you know, so, so, something that doesn't posit a particularly, that doesn't, that doesn't um, make the event seem particularly significant or, 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 or meaningful. So I'll give you an example. So uh, some years ago, Princess Diana, uh, the Princess of Wales, died in a car crash in Paris. So if you look at that event and say, well, you know, how could such a thing have happened? Well, you know, she was being driven at great speed by a driver who drunk too much. And, you know, he crashed the car and she died. And that kind of thing happens all the time. There doesn't seem anything remarkable or special about that, um, about such a thing happening. Um, but in fact, as, as you may remember, there was a there, there was an em- huge emotional outpouring after she died. And this huge feeling of, that many people seem to have that um, her death had to have more significance than that, that it, that, it, that, that it couldn't just have been a matter of her being killed in a, in, in a car crash. So I think there's, there's, a, there's a strong desire that, that, that many people have to make sense of major events, to, to find meaning in them or significance in them. And finding meaning or significance in them is partly a matter of not seeing them as merely the product of, of, of you know, of mere accidents or something as trivial as, as in the Diana case, as, as, as drink driving. So I think there's a connection here with, uh, with, with religion. So um, the philosopher Tim Crane has a, um, a very interesting recent book on, on, on religion and religious belief. And um, he says that... Um, Religion attempts to make sense of the world by seeing a kind of meaning or significance in things. So there's this idea that, you know, this can't be all there is. There must be something more to the world. And, and, And I think that there's something similar going on with some conspiracy theories. I mean, again, there's the attempt to make sense of um, major events, to find a kind of meaning or significance in them, which people fear they wouldn't have if the orthodox explanation were correct. So, so the motto here with, with, with something like the Diana case, it, the motto isn't this can't be all there is, but rather this can't be all there is to it. There must be more to it. Um, and that's what makes, I think that's actually partly what makes these theories so, so seductive. And as long as people, conti- people are you know, seduced by the idea of there being some kind of deeper meaning in events, it's going to be very hard to shake them out of these, uh, out of this kind of theorizing. Right. So, and just one stray thought, uh, um, as, as I'm hearing this. So, uh, then that might help to make sense of um, what you've just said might help to make sense of, uh, what, what, again, for, for, as an onlooker, what seems to me to be, um, 
one of the common sites where conspiracy theories start to emerge is when there are events that people have strong emotional reactions to. Um, and so if you think that part of what it is to have a strong emotional reaction is to strive to fit that reaction into some larger narrative about, you know, sort of constructing a, um, an account of, uh, why this terrible thing happened with other features of your experience, including just, you know, things you believe and evidence you have, um, then it looks as if maybe that, that that's a good reason that the, this can't be all there is to it is uh, what we might even expect from events that occur, which invoke very strong um, feelings of uh, despair or, or other very strong emotions. Does that sound like it could be right? I think that's 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 exactly right. I think oh, that's good. spot on. Uh, <laughs> and I, I think what that what that way of putting things brings out is the is the emotional component right. of of many conspiracy theories. So I mean, think about something absolutely appalling, like the death of a child, um, or even worse, the death of one's own child. Uh, I mean, when 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 things like that happen, I mean, it's it's an absolutely natural human instinct to try to make sense of it. To try and figure out, you know, how could such a thing have happened? Um, and it, it, certainly, if one thinks about, you know, the, you know, the killing of large numbers of uh, children in a school uh, by an unhinged lone gunman, um, I, I mean, that I, I imagine is is a very hard thing to, to, you know, to live with. I mean, the event um, has such a kind of deep emotional resonance that the, you know the idea that there was more to it than that it wasn't just some random person coming in with a gun and killing lots of people but actually you know it was a conspiracy by the by the government to to get someone to do this in order to in order to um you know justify gun control or something like that i mean it suddenly makes make gives the event a kind of meaning which it wouldn't otherwise otherwise have so i think the idea that there's a kind of um, there's a kind of emotional element to these theories that they they, they it, it is actually rather fundamental to understanding their their appeal so i so i mentioned this just because it seems to me that you know just talking about you know cognitive biases or the conspiracy mentality or whatever um although that's all perfectly i, I think relevant to explaining why people believe, believe conspiracy theories it it's it, it's as it were a cold explanation right. Um, I, I think I think many of these cases are, as it were, hot cases, you know, where there's a real emotional charge. And that has a lot to do with the uptake that these theories get once what once 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 someone puts them forward. Uh, right. Um, so, Kasim, you've been you've been very generous with your time. So I wanted to make sure that we um, we before we end today, we, we had a, a few minutes so that I can ask you a, a fundamental question that couldn't possibly be answered in only a few minutes. But um do you have any advice uh, uh, for people about how they should? Um, I mean, it seems like w once you once you g get into the sort of syndrome of believing conspiracy theories, uh, um, as you say, you know, if you believe one conspiracy theory, that it's a strong, uh, uh, um, you know, that you're going to believe a, uh, another one is, is seems to be related. Um, so um, maybe the question of how to deal with people once they are conspiracy theorists is different from the question which I want to ask you, which is. Um, if we take ourselves not yet to be conspiracy theorists, but we have these vulnerabilities to be seduced by them, as you say, is there anything that we can do to um, uh, help inoculate ourselves, uh, if we can speak that way, from coming to believe conspiracy theories? Well, um, 
of course, again, if you were to talk <laughs> conspiracy theories, they, they might say we don't need inoculating against these theories because right. these theories are, you know, we live in a world in which there are lots of conspiracies and in which we have good reason to believe in them. And of course, it's a very tricky matter because, I mean, surely no, no, no one would want to deny that there are conspiracies right. uh, and, and, and it is sometimes OK to, to believe in them. But I, I mean, I guess your question isn't about about those cases, but rather what can we do to inoculate ourselves against um, believing, you know, the, the crazier, the crazier theories uh, right. <laughs> on, on, on the market, if one may put it that way. And, and I, I think that, um, um, of, of, you know, of course, one can one can talk about cultivating epistemic, you know, virtues like, you know, carefulness and open mindedness and so on. But that isn't really going to get you anywhere, because, of course, People who believe conspiracy theories, they they regard themselves as actually much more open minded than people who, um, you know, believe in the the mainstream view. I mean, they think, well, look, you know, you, you're the one who's closed minded. You just believe what the government tells you. Uh, my mind is open to all these different explanations. So I think simply talking about, you know, the cultivation of epistemic inv- virtues and vices um, is maybe is part of the answer, but isn't really going to be the, the complete answer. I think that it, it, it really what one needs to do is to look at the to look at the um, e- emotional and political appeal of these theories. I mean, on the political side, of course, these theories are bound up with all sorts of political beliefs. And as long as people hold on to those beliefs, beliefs about, you know, the badness of, gov- of big government and so on, um, they're going to hold on to their theories. I mean, on the on the on the emotional side, I think it is partly a matter of getting oneself to see that uh, the proportion the principle of proportionality, the principle that big effects must always have big causes to remind oneself that that principle is actually false. Um, major events can occur just by chance as, a, you know, quite randomly um, without any, um, you know, uh, deeper, deeper story to be told. And sometimes Things happen that, um, you know, affect us very deeply, but that don't actually have any deeper meaning beyond that. And the search for meaning and the positing of um, conspiracies to, to, to make sense of events is, is actually really satisfying a kind of psychological need that, pe- that, that we, may, we may find ourselves as having. But once you recognize it as actually just a psychological need, perhaps it'll it's easier to then see that well you know you don't have to go down that path it's not it's not it's not essential and it's not sensible in many cases well um uh kasim kasam it's been wonderful talking to you thank you so much for joining me on the podcast thank you that was very interesting and thank you listener for uh tuning into the podcast which i remind you is produced by the university of connecticut's humility and conviction in public life project with generous support from the john templeton foundation uh, you can follow the project on both Twitter and Facebook uh, at Public Humility. That is at Public Humility, which is one word. Thank you. Bye for now. <laughs>